More information has come to light on Nancy Blaine and what kind of a person she is. Not just an abuser of Mark, but a real piece of work to many. If you haven't listened to season two of Isolated, you will want to binge listen for context. Also, we bring you the story of Martin Brown, who wound up in a coma for three days, thanks to his abusive fiance. This podcast contains adult themes, language, and violence. It is not suited to all audiences and may be triggering to some. In many cases, the names and details within these episodes have been changed to protect privacy. Opinions expressed by guests of the show do not necessarily reflect those of the podcast or its producers. Welcome to Isolated, a podcast about male victims of domestic abuse and control, as well as those suffering as a result of parent alienation syndrome. We are not therapists or experts in this field, but seek to bring these issues to light and provide awareness of early warning signs of abusive behavior and resources for help. Hello, ISOs. I am Navi Carpenter, and I am so happy to be back with Chella, who is about four weeks postpartum. How's it going? Oh, my gosh. It's going. <laughs> I'm hanging in there. Oh, man. The fourth. They call it the fourth trimester. Oh. Like the next three months of <laughs> after having a baby. It's just hard. It's the Adjustment. Hardest. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you're, you, I like this is my third baby, it's still so hard. <laughs> but Yeah. We're surviving. All right. Well, I can't wait till we're five years down the road. <laughs> As we are learning more and more about coercive control, domestic abuse, and narcissism, more and more information is coming to light about Nancy from season two of the podcast, who was my brother's wife. A woman who worked with Nancy reached out to me and said, quote, I think Nancy only had one friend at work, and everyone knew Nancy was only using her. I am embarrassed to say I bought into her story after Mark's death, and she started befriending me, end quote. The same colleague said that in regards to those trips that Nancy said she won through her job, matching exchange students with host families, every year they had to qualify for a winter trip somewhere warm. They earn points for matches and can trade the points for trips. Most expenses are covered for the employee and one guest, usually a husband, right? Right, yeah. But Nancy apparently always took the two boys as well, which amounted to pretty hefty guest fees from the company, not to mention the flights. I'm sure that didn't help their financial woes. She pulled a lot of economic abuse against Mark, who was struggling, trying to keep their heads above water. Like, she just made it harder on the poor guy. Always. And not only that, but she would always upgrade their room, which nobody ever did. This it's put, a free trip. Just take the room. Right? Yeah. But this put Blaine family in a separate building with a separate swimming pool, separate restaurants. So they were always isolated from the work group, right? Until Nancy felt like making a showing. And one of these co-workers said that if she did, it was always with Mark in tow carrying her bag. I like how she stays in theme of isolation. Right? Yeah. One of the things about the majority of women who abuse their partners is their fear of emotional intimacy. They may be highly sexualized and sexually focused in order to remain emotionally distant, but sex is not emotional intimacy. 
Most women like Nancy do not have many, if any, close female friends because number one, they don't trust them. And number two, the abusive woman is so fake and distant, she can barely make a real friend. Women can sniff that stuff out, right? Too. Yeah, I totally more I, so than men. Absolutely, we know a fakie when we see it. Yeah, you men, don't even have to talk to them. Men are like, she's got boobs, right? Ooh, she's nice. She's <laughs> yeah. not like that. If she speaks with other women or colleagues, it's all small talk and surface level communication, not a sharing or supportive friendship. Nothing real. No. Yeah. So gentlemen, if you start dating a woman that has no apparent female friends in her life, that's a huge red flag (laughs) to take a closer look at. Let's consider this. If her whole life is you and your relationship, that's not healthy and it's not normal, no matter how flattering it might feel at the time. Yeah, exactly. I know it sounds flattering. Another way that the abusive woman emotionally distances herself from others is to start focusing on the perceived flaws and shortcomings in others. She may adopt the notion that all people lie, all people cheat, etc., in order to convince herself she doesn't need anyone. Isolating herself keeps her creep factor from getting noticed until it's too late. Abusive women often come from trauma, childhood trauma, past relationship trauma. Remember the white knight syndrome we spoke about in earlier episodes? Yeah, where the man learns of that trauma, sees the hurt, sees the sadness, and he thinks he can kind of swoop in, save the day, and protect her from not getting hurt in the future. Exactly. Yeah. But if you are getting involved with a woman with major trauma in her rearview mirror, There are some things that you should dive into first because her unresolved trauma is going to be your undoing. Save yourself, Knight. Kimberly Taylor, author of Exposing the Abusive Female and licensed marriage and family therapist had this advice. Go ahead and read this, Chella. She states, quote, a conversation about their trauma and how it was resolved may give reassurance that she's ready to connect on an emotional level. I advise men to find out how much resolution their partners have experienced from their trauma. Did they go to counseling? What are they willing to do immediately to find healing and resolution for their past experience? Are they willing to speak to a counselor and move forward? Or are they denying any impact from the trauma and minimizing the man's concerns? End quote. The author goes on to state that if the trauma hasn't been healed and the woman is refusing to address it, then the man is likely headed down a long road of emotional neglect with no clear indication of when it will ever change. This was certainly the path for my brother. Another colleague of Nancy's, Kayla, wrote into the podcast saying that she had been on a couple of these same trips as the Blaines from work and knew Nancy pretty well from 2015 to 2018 because, quote, it was better to keep my enemies close. End quote. Yikes. Nancy was apparently, quote, vicious in her competition. I was friends with her more to watch my back. She would steal clients a lot. End quote. Sounds like a real peach. Actually, she's an exploiter, a user, someone who takes advantage of other people for things or their own gain. With as vicious as Nancy was at work and how her coworkers saw her treatment of him on trips, Kayla also said that when she heard Mark went missing, she texted another colleague in their work group saying, I bet Nancy killed him. So I wasn't the only one who jumped to that conclusion in the first minute I heard that Mark was missing. I mean, imagine that's your first thought of another person. Exactly. It's crazy. A lot of Nancy's work colleagues and former acquaintances through work and other avenues have a strong distaste for her. Sandra said, quote, I had a run in with her years ago, probably at least seven years now, after which I went to great lengths to avoid her, which was not always possible, end quote. 
You can see why Nancy isolated her family from the work group on these trips. It's like Dan McGrath said on the podcast last week. She has to keep her personas separate. Right. These people at work know her to be backstabbing, <laughs> a vicious bitch. She wouldn't want her family knowing that. Exactly. Except clearly she stopped caring and let all her freak flags fly at home as well. Casey, who also had been on many work trips where Nancy and her self-made cult were in attendance, said, quote, we all thought something was off, but had no idea. She always separated them to a fancier part of a resort and did not try to be part of the group. I wanted to reach out and say that Mark is in my thoughts and will be remembered as a kind man who was caught up in a horrible situation, end quote. We sincerely hope that those inklings that something is off or that chill that travels down your spine when talking to someone will come more sharply into focus when you think back on this podcast and all the warning signs and red flags that we've been discussing regarding coercive control and domestic abuse. Even if you are uncomfortable approaching someone you may think may be in a bad relationship, you could also say, you know, hey, do you listen to podcasts? I came across a really interesting one. I'll text you the link or something like that. People can discover for themselves when shown a mirror. Absolutely. It might resonate with them what they're feeling. Yeah, Regret is something I can certainly feel at not being more informed and aware. I think I mentioned in one of the season one episodes about my next door neighbor and the woman of that house who has always screaming at him and my window's open right now so I hope they're not in their side here listening <laughs> they are apparently divorced but he fell on hard times during COVID and started staying at her house with their daughter and still is and I started to feel like he was stuck having nowhere to go but subjected to these such demeaning screaming fits by this woman so I took one of our podcast business cards which are anonymous anyway and stuck it under his windshield wiper early one morning and I realized a few days later that there had been less yelling it may be nothing to do with the card I left, but I feel better for having tried to do something rather than nothing. They say evil perpetuates when good people do nothing. In fact, if any of you want a few business cards to hand out or leave around as appropriate, just send us a message through isolatedpodcast.com and I'll see how many stamps I can afford. Francine, one of Mark's colleagues, wrote to say that she sat across from him month after month, meeting after meeting, often talking about self-care and mental health in regards to the burgeoning company they work for, and never had a clue what he was going through. Another friend of Mark's said, quote, I told my husband, I feel something huge was happening behind closed doors, and it's not him. Something is very oddly wrong, and I don't know how I know this, end quote. Mary, one of Nancy's colleagues for eight years, said that Nancy, quote, made my life a pure hell. I mentored her when she started, and I was one of her first victims of bullying behavior and lies. I almost quit numerous times. I had to block her from my life, both personally and professionally. I am so heartbroken over what happened to Mark. He was so nice to my family, and she is pure evil, end quote. So sad. It's so sad. To hear all this in retrospect is really hard. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Let's yeah. nip it in the bud. If only. Nancy, in an attempt to cover her tracks and make everyone see her as a victim, even prior to Mark's death, sent a text message to Chrissy, whose son had been in the same class with Benny, and she had known Nancy since the kids were friends. Nancy texted her, quote, I'm not sure if you heard, but Mark moved out, was court ordered to move out about a month ago. 
I have full custody of the kids. He doesn't even have visitation at this point until he enters an alcohol and anger program for at least 30 days. Things got really bad, but the kids and I are trying to move forward in a healthy, safe way without him in our lives. Thankfully, he isn't going for the president position. That would be horrible. End quote. What a freaking liar. Right? Oh, my God. Uh, And at the time, she was continually trying to deny him access to the kids. Right. Mark had moved out after he had to get an emergency restraining order against her. And after all the other abuses he suffered as evidenced in season two of the podcast. Not court mandated. Uh, People are such good liars. I know. And what does that last sentence even mean? Why would it be horrible if he became president of the company? I can only assume she was trying to say that the company had dodged a bullet. Mark being such a terrible person and all. Everyone loved him. All of his coworkers. Everyone loved him and everyone hates you, Nancy. Yeah, get the picture straight, lady. (sighs) She likes to drop these lie bombs and watch them detonate, hoping shrapnel will slice Mark open so she can watch him bleed. But if you notice, she just has to keep... It's almost like she's trying to convince herself, too, because she just keeps repeating these lies over and over and over. Nobody is swallowing this. Nobody. You're just chewing this in your mouth, but nobody can (laughs) swallow. Like... We all know you're lying, Nancy. Exactly. Unrealistic expectations are one of the abuser's poison arrows. Mark was constantly expected to deliver on tasks, timelines, and finances that were utterly ridiculous. You would have thought he was literally enslaved or employed by Nancy. She wanted to make sure Mark felt that he never measured up. There was never any appreciation or encouragement He was constantly made to feel like a failure and nothing was ever good enough to satisfy, please, or placate Nancy. At all costs, she did not want Mark to ever feel good. In reality, an abuser like Nancy wants everyone to be as miserable and unhappy as she feels. Remember how Nancy was always threatening to divorce Mark, saying she didn't need him. She and the boys were all better off without him. And we're always like, go, go, please do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just so curious as to what her life is like now, what things are like for her now. You know, I would love to be a fly on the wall. Uh, You and me both. Be careful what you wish for. You don't have a slave now. (laughs) But all we get are glimpses and snippets that people send to me. For now, it seems like life is grand for Nancy. She's living large on the million dollars of life insurance. Per Chrissy, Nancy is driving a brand new Range Rover bought with blood money. New car, new dog, new facelift, new hair color, probably new boobs. We hear she has a new boyfriend and who knows what else. New victim. All thanks to the life insurance money she collected after driving Mark to suicide. The bus seems to be in fine shape, but when will the wheels come off again? I don't have a crystal ball, but with the way Nancy has been with money in the past, she'll go through it in no time. She won't be responsible. Well, now she has to get her own groceries, feed her own kids, help them with their homework, make her own chai in the morning. I mean, who's making her feel welcome and, you know, appreciated now? She has no one to make her chai tea. I'm wondering who's doing all the backyard pool work and all that outdoor conditioning. Cleaning out the garage and, oh my gosh, I haven't, she probably hired. I, I seriously have PTSD from that episode. It was the harsh. schedule, the re- oh my God. regime. Can you imagine? I, no, I can't. And when we talk about the way she quote unquote enslaved him, we're not exaggerating. Not at all. This was his no. home and he had these rules and these schedules to maintain. If he wanted to sleep in his bed or maybe if he was lucky Take on the a couch. Yeah, yeah. It's I've never heard of anything so horrible, seriously. <sighs> 
What really bugs me the most is what Chrissy said about Nancy trying to cover her tracks, still spewing lies about my brother and what a horrible person he was. What's she saying about Mark's suicide? Why he killed himself? You know she isn't pointing the finger at herself. Oh, hell no. The narcissist abuser never takes blame. Ever. I had to somehow set the record straight for my own sanity, even anonymously, as all identifying details in this podcast have been changed to protect not just the innocent, but me and my family from the retaliating venom of Nancy Blaine. My son showed me a screenshot last week that indicates Nancy Blaine had recently viewed his profile on LinkedIn. Oh, that's scary. Why? She hates us all and thinks we're all vile and evil, so why is she snooping around now? I tried to see if she's viewed mine, but I don't have that premium or whatever that allows you to see that. What I did happen to see, though, was a message I had sent to Mark the day he went missing. Quote, Mark, you are always welcome at our house. We love you and are worried about you. Please contact me. And I didn't even remember that I had sent that, but I was trying to communicate on every single level I could think of, every avenue I could think of, in contrast to Nancy, who just kept emailing him, fuck you, old man, your stuff is on the curb with a free sign, and trying to get everyone remove the missing person flyer. You know what we need? What? A good hacker. Right? Where are you? Where are the good hackers? Use your powers for good so we can see what she's up to. Oh, man, if only... In any event, it is evident that Nancy is not a nice person to anyone. You can't blame Mark for her ruined relationships. There was a time before Mark went missing when I believe even Nancy's family had washed their hands of her. They were at the funeral, so I don't know what their relationship is now. And I mean, it's hard to say because there's certain parts of your life where p- even the people you've banished show up. So for maybe they were there funeral. for a funeral, exactly. and, but they don't necessarily, maybe they loved Mark and exactly they cared about him. That's and they exactly honored true. Him. That's true. I didn't even think about it that way. Thank you. So ISOs, you can add another creepo to our list, Harriet Sharp. To the list of female abusers, her fiance, Martin Brown, very nearly lost his life. Why don't you kick this off, Tilla? Okay. Martin Brown started dating Harriet Sharp in the spring of 2016. A mutual friend set them up and Martin remembered Harriet from secondary school where he recalls she was quiet and friendly. Harriet having quit her job at Blackpool Pleasure Beach a year prior. It sounds like. A, it, yeah, it sounds like a, a I don't very know. Very sketchy. <laughs> Some kind of a. Yeah, X-rated resort. So despite how it may sound, is actually an amusement park in Northwest England. (laughs) She was no doubt excited to be dating a handsome guy with a job. They dated for about five months. And he said Harriet was lovely and witty with a keen sense of humor, even though a bit shy. Mm -hmm. Things were going so well, in fact, that Martin felt it was time to take the next step. Five months is too short, guys. Yeah. (laughs) At age 29, he moved in with Harriet, age 25, and her mother, Jane, in a small one-bedroom flat that October. Abort. Abort. (laughs) Eject. Yeah. One month later, the couple went to a pub, and Harriet surprised Martin by getting down on one knee and proposing, holding out a diamond-shaped candy in her hand. Apparently, she was not willing to wait for Martin to pop the question. So she went ahead and Mm -hmm, did it herself. mm -hmm. (laughs) So although embarrassed, Martin agreed and said yes. He was in love after all. They set the wedding date for a year later, October 22nd, 2017. But all was not love and roses once Martin moved in. Definitely not. Harriet started coming home drunk with increasing frequency 
and when she was drunk, she was violent. Aside from the physical attacks, Harriet would verbally abuse him regularly. Every weekend was another argument and more abuse. One night in October 2016, Harriet had been out drinking heavily and came home in another dark mood. She was volatile, and Martin tried to calm her down. His attempts did not work, however, and Harriet went into the kitchen. She came out wielding a knife and sliced Martin in the neck. He was absolutely shocked. as It seemed to come out of the blue for no reason at all. He asked Harriet, quote, what the hell are you doing, end quote. The wound did not seem to require immediate medical attention, so no report was filed, and he didn't go get any help. Not that I'm condoning any abuse with a knife or abuse at all. Yeah. But isn't it extreme to go for the neck right away? It does seem like. Like, that's very. Scary. Yeah. She's not even starting small, like, I'm going to nick you in the hand. (laughs) You nick the juggler, you're done in three minutes, I think, right? That's attempted murder. (sighs) The following morning, Harriet hugged Martin and apologized. He thought the incident was just a one-time thing because it had been so out of character for her, or so he thought. Unfortunately, he was dead wrong. Harriet began to regularly attack Martin whilst soused on cheap cider. She would slap him, scratch him, and scrape knives across his skin. If Harriet got into an argument with her mother, she would take it out on Martin, pulling his hair, trying to strangle him. He felt trapped, but like most men, would never dream of hitting her back. Like most abusers, Harriet set out to isolate Martin so that he couldn't share what was happening to him. She told all his friends that he no longer wanted to speak to them or hear from them. And I just have to say, if a fiance or girlfriend of your close friend says, my guy doesn't want to talk to you anymore, go straight to the source. Oh, yeah. That's a red flag right there. Yes. If you are talking for the other person, I would never, especially friends that are not couple friends or mutual friends, they're not my friends, they're my husband's friends, they would find it odd that I'm communicating his feelings or his availability at all. Right. T- agree. That's a total red flag. Uh, yep. Okay. So good. In an article by Hannah Crouch for The Sun, Martin said, quote, she alienated me from my friends. I was under the thumb and she made it so I had no one to talk to, end quote. On one occasion, Martin tried to go out and have a beer with his dad, but Harriet called him right away to say that she had collapsed and he needed to come home right away. She's probably drunk. Of course, when he got there, she was just fine. Harriet dealt out intermittent love, which we learned last episode is highly destructive, changes the brain chemistry and creates what is called a trauma bond that is incredibly addictive and hard to break. She would call him worthless and a scum while threatening to cheat on him with another man. The next day, she would tell him how much she loved him and be physically affectionate. Their next door neighbor, Jody Smith, knew Harriet, her mother, and Martin very well. They often socialized. And in a Daily Mail article with Joseph Curtis, Jody was reported saying that she was fully aware of Harriet's conduct and described their relationship as being out of control because Harriet was generally crazy when she drank. Jody had borne witness to a number of events where Harriet stabbed, kicked, hit, or slapped Martin. Why would Jody just sit there and not? Uh, yeah. Come I'm, on, Jody. Maybe she thought that was their relationship. I, I don't no. know. People Seriously, don't like you to get involved. Some, I know. I know. It sounds nuts. It says, in which Harriet <clears throat> stabbed, kicked. Yeah, I know. And you're just going to let that go? <sighs> anyway. 
To him, the whole thing was inconceivable. He was a man and things like this didn't happen to men. He is quoted in the mirror in an article by Vicki White as saying, quote, I didn't think there was any help out there for people like me. You hear a lot about women in this situation, but not men. I was too ashamed to tell anyone what was happening. I told them I had slipped and fallen over in the bath and cut myself, end quote. And stabbed yourself? On December 1st, Harriet again argued with her mother and went after Martin with a knife, stabbing him in a sort of seesaw motion over where his wrist meets his hand, cutting him down to the bone. He felt sick and faint and collapsed on the floor in an epileptic fit. He eventually crawled to where Harriet was watching TV and begged for help. She ignored him, but Harriet's mother called the ambulance upon seeing the bone through his flesh. Harriet told Martin to say he'd had an accident while chopping food. Although paramedics were dubious of this ruse, Martin insisted it was true and refused hospitalization. I imagine these unreported incidences just made Harriet more confident and untouchable. She could do whatever she wanted to Martin and he would stay silent, just as he was told. Unfortunately, the next incident very nearly took his life. Right. On January 10th, Martin and Harriet had a nice day and he took her out to dinner. Mm -hmm. They left the pub, went home to have a couple beers, inviting, once again, neighbor Jody Smith. The couple got into an argument and Harriet started to slap Martin around the face. Jody tried to pin Harriet against the mattress to stop her while Harriet's mother, Jane, kicked Martin in the back. Well, at least Jody's trying now. Yay. Harriet got a knife out of the kitchen, threatening to stab him and eventually did so. 28 times stabbing him in the stomach and chest and leaving him drenched in his own blood one of the knife wounds punctured his lung martin said the attack lasted about 15 minutes and in an article by harley tamplin from metro news he quote thought he was going to die that night end quote uh yeah 28 stab wounds right Instead of calling an ambulance for Martin, Harriet called one for herself, saying she had a stomach ache. What the hell? You know, that often comes with attempted murder. With attempting murder, yeah. She admonished Martin not to say anything to the paramedics. She promptly hid the kitchen knives in the oven and even almost refused the paramedics' entry to their home. Meanwhile, Martin's lung was filling with blood and he had internal bleeding. He was close to death. Thankfully, the emergency responders could see that Martin was seriously injured and put him in the ambulance, eventually stating that he had been about an hour from death when rescued. Harriet showed absolutely no concern for him whatsoever. His wounds were so egregious that doctors performed an emergency laparotomy, which is a surgical procedure involving one long incision down the abdomen to look inside the abdominal cavity in order to ascertain whether Martin had internal bleeding or additional wounds to organs that they couldn't see. Martin was in a coma for three days, and when he eventually woke, he told the police everything, terrified that Harriet was still after him. The police assured him that she had been taken into custody. And as you can well imagine, Martin said, quote, it was a terrifying ordeal and I would not wish it on my worst enemy, end quote. I wonder if uh, the mom was also held responsible. Well, she should have been. Yeah, absolutely. Martin's brother and father were dumbfounded that he hadn't told them about his abuse. Martin said, quote, I was too ashamed and too scared, end quote. Unfortunately, his nightmare did not end there. After being discharged from the hospital in January, 11 days after his ordeal, his mental state deteriorated and in March he tried to take his own life. 
He said, quote, I just didn't want to be here anymore, end quote. He was admitted to Blackpool's Harbor Hospital and has stayed 11 weeks. Once healthy enough, Martin hopes to stay at a halfway house run by a domestic violence charity. He is very uncomfortable with the way he looks and hates his scars. He has good days and bad days and suffers from PTSD, panic and hallucinations, as well as nerve damage in his left hand. Ugh. That's awful. Yeah. What's so sad is that one question as to why he didn't come forward with his abuse. Martin claimed that he was ashamed of what Harriet had done to him and he didn't want her to get in any trouble. Oh, man. Trouble was exactly what doctors found on Martin's body when they examined him. He had injuries to his shoulder, his stomach, upper back, thigh, forehead, chest, abdomen, and scratches and bite marks on his neck and elsewhere. I mean, there were defensive wounds on his hands. This guy was trying to protect himself. Right. This was Harriet's first romantic relationship and hopefully her last. She claims that a traumatic childhood made her who she is today, along with battling leukemia early on. She claims to have tried to kill herself at least once before. She was charged with three counts of offenses of maliciously wounding Martin with intent to cause grievous bodily harm. She pled guilty and was sentenced to 11 years in prison. Martin hopes to travel the world someday and is bravely wanting to eventually have another romantic relationship. He said, quote, I am determined to look forward. I don't want to let her win, end quote. He also admonished, quote, if someone in my situation is reading this, I hope they get out because it will get worse, end quote. So bear that in mind, gentlemen. That's all we have for today. If you could help support the continuation of this podcast, our website and the like, please consider joining as a Patreon. Even $5 a month will go a long way towards the message that we're trying to bring to the world and the legislation we are trying to create. And you'd actually be our first supporter after two seasons. So we would really appreciate it. Let's do it. <laughs> as always, ISOs, we pray for your welfare and healing. Until next time, be safe, be strong, and survive. If you or someone you love is being abused by an intimate partner, we have resources listed on our website at isolatedpodcast.com. If you have an experience, expertise, or advice you'd like to share, please send an email to notalone at isolatedpodcast.com or visit our website. Your privacy, should you desire it, is a top priority for us. You can support the work of this podcast and help fund much-needed therapy for men who can't afford it by becoming a member through our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash isolated podcast, which also gets you perks and benefits unavailable to non-members. You can cancel at any time. Your five-star review on iTunes will also help promote the show and help listeners find the podcast. 